Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. Really nice day today, isn't it? It's it's really turned the corner, hasn't it? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm dusting off the barbecue. I'm ready. Yeah, I felt slightly guilty. I left my partner in the back garden um, cleaning and uh, repainting the fence, and I said I've got to go and talk about ghosts for a bit. <laughs> Serious work needs to be uh, done. I know. <laughs> I do feel a little bit off about that, but it is a perfect day. It is a perfect day. Um, Firstly, uh, I wanted to thank all of you that have given us feedback on last week's episode and the launch of our ongoing TQM Tulpa project. So if you didn't hear last week's episode, definitely go back and check it out. We're trying to create a Tulpa, trying to bring a fictional character to life. And Ben came up with the brilliant idea of choosing Sherlock Holmes. Um, And we set up a couple of hashtags. Hashtag make homes real, which I quite liked and hashtag see Sherlock. Um, I have to say, Ben, I thought we would get one or two responses in the first week, but we've had a much greater response and some amazing activity, level one on the TQM Tulpa scale. Go yeah. and check that out, uh, Tulpa Encounter scale. Uh, we'll come on to those at the end of the episode, so I guess keep listening if you want to hear them, but there's some really amazing stories there so really far, is. which we'll get yeah. on to. Yeah, and the stuff that's happened to both of us. Yes, we both had some kind of weird stuff. And I've also thought about a new idea for the project as well, which we'll come on to at the end. So if that's not enough to keep you listening, I don't know what is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, today's episode uh, was inspired in some way by the Tulpa Project because when, Ben, we were initially talking about what we wanted to try and create, we decided we wanted to do initially something ridiculous. We debated ghostly rubber ducks, My Little Ponies, ghost dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, we did, yeah. What yeah. else did we have? Talking toads. We had all kinds of oh, ideas. Oh, yes, after the Chinese story about the talking toads. Yeah. yeah. But you also mentioned the Caracasa Cosa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you used that exact word. I didn't, no. What's that? That's the Japanese yokai that is a ghost-like umbrella. Oh, yeah, yeah, the ghost umbrella. Yes, yes, yes. That's my favourite yokai. It, yes. Oh, it's a lovely yokai. It hops on one leg. It's got one eye and a very long tongue. And I guess it... it <laughs> That's it, the best thing about yeah, it, but, the really long tongue. But the long tongue. So basically all it does is kind of hop on its leg, this umbrella, creeps up on you and gives you a lick. That's basically <laughs> it. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> So that got me thinking, are there more of these, you know, basically ridiculous ghosts out there, right? So today's episode is about ridiculous ghosts and bizarre ghost encounters. I love it. I love a ridiculous ghost. Nothing is that I've heard so far, like in our ghost stories, has been as pleasing as um, the ghost sausage Oh, was was that um, Ruth Roper Wild? That was sausage. Ruth Roper Wild. The inter, inter, I can't even say that word. Interdimensional sausage the that kept appearing sausage. and disappearing in a frying pan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we had um, the ghost sandwich. Yes, we've had we've had a few food based things, which kind of does. It's almost fairy law, that isn't it? It is very much fairy law. Yeah. Well, let's start with Japan because I was on a mission to find a ghost that was even more bizarre than a living umbrella. <laughs> I'm not sure I've been up to the task, but I, I have found a really strange one I'd not heard of before called the Shirimi. Oh, that sounds like a lovely cheese. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, or, or some lovely sushi. Um, 
The shirimi is a Japanese folklore yokai who looks like a human being from a distance until you get up close and realise that this ghostly creature has no face. Oh. Now, Ben, you might be thinking, what's weird and bizarre about that? We've covered ghosts with no faces on the podcast before and even the creepypasta. We were talking about Slender Man last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, what makes the shirimi particularly unique? And there could be a little clue for you here, Ben. The shirimi is also referred to as the buttock eye ghost. He's got a face on his butt. (laughs) You're partially there. You may have got it right there, but uh, the shirimi does not have any features on its face, but it does have a giant eyeball where its anus should be. (laughs) (laughs) I know some people who've got a mouth there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think we've been accused of that, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the word shirimi can roughly translate to mean butt eye. This ghost likes to scare people, especially travellers, by stripping naked, then bending over so its rear end is in the air and its giant eyes exposed to its terrified and, I guess, slightly bemused victim. Yeah. I mean, that's... I have so many questions. (laughs) One, how does he see through his trousers? That's true. Or his kimono. (laughs) Or his kimono. Yeah. Uh, And two... Does he have a digestive system? Well, he's a ghost, I suppose. Yeah, I, I was. I, that was my first thought about the digestive system. But, you know, then, like you said, it's a, it's a ghostly apparition. Yeah, so it looks like a regular person from a distance and is generally seen wearing a kimono. The Shirimi's preferred victims are travellers who are walking alone on the streets of Japan late at night. Uh, And I found an article that laid out the preferred modus operandi of this cheeky chappy. (laughs) (laughs) And it goes something like this. It spots a lone traveller. It lets the traveller approach them from behind, I guess so it doesn't see its face. When the traveller is close enough, it turns around to reveal its featureless face, which you think would be kind of weird and scary enough, right? Mm. Then it whips off its kimono... (laughs) bends over to reveal its backside with the giant eye where its anus should be. The shirimi will keep flashing. So this eye is almost like a torch. It flashes. It'll keep flashing until its victim runs away in terror. Its eye has been described as glittering like a flashlight. So it's actually emitting light. Uh, Yeah, and it flashes on and off like a torch. What a strange occupation. Yeah. Now, I have got an artist impression of this. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I couldn't imagine. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show Ben. Hold on oh, one second. I've put my glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite some artist. He appears to have painted what looks more like a jammy dodger than an eye. Yeah. It looks like he's got the best of Crawford's biscuits shoved <laughs> up his butt. But, yeah, there you go. But that is... That is bizarre, isn't it? So uh, for those of you listening who want to see it for yourselves, you could just Google Shirimi. So that's S-H-I-R-I-M-E. Probably do it with Yokai together, which is Y-O-K-I-A. Or you could check out the YouTube version of the podcast. We'll put some images there. So you can go to at the quantum mechanics. Um, I know because we're quite new on YouTube, you might have to do a bit of searching to find us, but it's worth <laughs> it's worth persevering for a shot of that arse. <laughs> oh, my God. That gives me an idea for a Halloween costume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I can just paint a ping pong ball and... Yeah, you could do. <laughs> That's a hell of a party trick you'd have there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm whipping my kimono off. There we go. Now, the original folklore of this strange paranormal creature involved a samurai, uh, and it goes something like this. I found a version of the folklore. This is from japanugan.com, but it's basically the same story, but I'm going to focus on their one. It says, Once upon a time, many, many years ago, a samurai was walking in the streets of Kyoto. It was late at night. He heard someone call him. Excuse me, can you wait for a moment? The voice seemed to come from someone who looked like a normal human being. But the samurai was ready to fight, if need be. They're always on guard, those samurais, aren't they? They're ready for trouble. The man came along wearing a kimono. What do you want? the samurai asked him. The man came nearer and the samurai was shocked to see that he had no facial features. But before he could react, the man suddenly took off his kimono. Now stark naked, he turned around and bent over with his buttocks up in the air. The samurai was further shocked to see that in the man's buttocks was lodged an eyeball. The eye opened and shone like lightning. Well, that you, you, I was right there with you. Uh, I could imagine him doing that, but... I, I, well, I still don't get why. I get that a lot with these, especially the Japanese yokai. There's like, why would the umbrella come up and lick you? Why would this kind of ghostly creature not have a face and go, hey, have a look at my eyeball with my ass. Look, it flashes. <laughs> it flashes. Um, but what, what, what's weird about those, I think, I can't remember the name of them. I think there's a, those are a certain type of yokai, especially the ones, I know there is a type for the inanimate object ones but their general thing is not necessarily to kind of kill you or do it they just want to kind of scare they're almost trickster spirits right they want Mm. to scare you and they want you to run off yeah yeah the trickster thing makes sense yeah (laughs) i mean i'd have loved to have been at the board meeting where they came up with the um the arse eye yeah 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 it's it's it is uh, i still think i like the umbrella better but it is bizarre it's very bizarre. Yeah. Um, also, painful to sit down. Yeah. I'm just going to sit on my eye for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, if you've got something in your eye and you ask somebody <laughs> to put some Optrex in, that's going to be a bit of a shock, isn't it? Gives new meaning to 40 winks as <laughs> yeah. well. Very, very bizarre. Really bizarre. Okay, I love that. I love that. Well, that was our first ridiculous ghost, an entity that has an eye for making an arse of itself. See what I did there. <laughs> we will come on to some other bizarre entities in a minute. But, Ben, in my research, I came across this great feature in the New York Times. They went back over their old editions and dug out some of the bizarrest spooky tales that have ever featured that have ever featured in the paper, which I thought was amazing. Oh, that's good. There was quite a lot of them, so I've waded through. I've just picked a couple that I really liked, but there there is a whole host of them. So, um, again, if you're doing a Google, it might be worth checking it out. If you do kind of old editions, New York Times, ghost stories, something like that, you'll find them. Um, so I thought I'd throw in a few of these stories for good measure. Let's start with this news story, which was first published in the New York Times on the 15th of March in 1904. Under the headline, Wife Returned After Having Fine Funeral. Okay. That's that's very Jonathan Creek. It really is, isn't it? Um, I'll quote from the article. It says, 
declaring that the city falsely notified him that his wife was dead and saddled him with the expenses of a funeral for a strange woman, Ignacio Valenti, who lives at 311 East 16th Street, has filed a bill for $250 against the city. The Auditing Bureau of the Finance Department has now has it in charge. I guess that meant he was looking into the case. Mm. Valenti is an Italian, and about six weeks ago, he quarrelled with his wife, Angelico, over the way she cooked macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how you can really mess up macaroni, but there you go. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. As a result of the quarrel, the wife left Valenti's home, declaring she would rather die than return. When Valenti's rage had cooled, he became worried over his wife and started a search for her, reporting her loss to the police. He gave a careful description of the woman and finally, on being notified that a body of a woman answering the description was at the morgue, he went there, accompanied by his two-year-old daughter. He identified the clothing of the dead woman as belonging to his wife, but when shown the body, said he declared it had been changed. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. They all change after death, he says the morgue keeper declares. <laughs> Valenti says, this woman is better looking than my wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I can see now. It wasn't just about the macaroni, it was really it? It really was, yeah. I think the macaroni was symptomatic of the relationship. Oh boy. The morgue man replied... Death beautifies them all, which I think is quite a nice saying, isn't it? And also creepy. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. They, I thought about that. That is creepy. <laughs> I'm just checking to see if they've got an eye in there. <laughs> yeah. Smoth- no. Smothering his doubts, Valenti says he had the body brought to his home, and then in response to an old request made by his wife, got out the wedding dress used by Mrs. Valenti, and had the strange woman attired in it. The funeral was held and Valenti footed the bill, he declared. Notice of the event was published in the Italian papers and the real Mrs Valenti, reading it, started post-haste back to New York to her home. (laughs) So she'd basically run off and gone to Italy. She wasn't dead at all. Mr Valenti, on arriving home, discovered the real Mrs Valenti rummaging about for her wedding dress. Oh... That's awkward. Yeah, really awkward. What's become of it, she demanded when Valenti entered. He said, why, I buried you in it three days ago. (laughs) And then I made some (laughs) macaroni. (laughs) Valenti's real real trouble followed this, and when Valenti had satisfied himself, it was his real wife who stood before him. (laughs) He He satisfied himself it was the real wife. (laughs) Maybe he got to make some macaroni and went, yeah, that's shit. That's kind of... That's uh, (laughs) her. He then told her he'd buried the wrong woman. He could only restore peace by promising to buy his wife another wedding dress, just like the one in which the strange woman had been buried. Now he demands that the city pay him $100, which he spent on the funeral of the wrong woman, $40 for lost wages through grief and because of illness that followed the shock of finding his wife alive. (laughs) This guy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's a real keeper. And $110 for a bridal costume which which was placed on the corpse and with which sum he desires to buy a new gown for the real Mrs Valenti. 
He asserts that he would never have accepted the body of the other woman, whose identity is still unknown, unless the mall keeper had forced him to believe that it was the body of his wife. I saw, I can see his point, to be honest. I, I can guess why a bit of suing might go on there. Yeah. But I, I did... I did... <laughs> I did giggle at the fact he was trying to get kind of compensation for the fact that his wife was still alive <laughs> did, did he win i don't know you know what i tried digging around for more on the story but there wasn't any and also i don't know if they ever identified the woman and who she was and all that stuff but yeah that is a good story that oh, that is a good story but i just like that yeah they all get prettier yeah. In here, yeah, yeah. Uh, I make them that way. Yeah. Oh no, I've got creeps now. Exactly. Well, from New York, let's move back to Asia and a couple of really strange entities from Malaysian folklore. Let's start with the Hantu Tetek. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I think that sounds pretty professional, to be honest. That's H A N T U. New word T T E K. Hantotekic is sometimes referred to as the breast ghost. Amazing. (laughs) The entity is a female spirit whose modus operandi is to float around in search of attractive young virile men and then suffocate them to death with its large breasts. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Did a morgue man make this up <laughs> yeah, at all? Maybe. In terms of appearance, some stories I came across described Hantu Tetek initially appearing as attractive woman, then as your encounter develops, I guess the true form is revealed. From the images I've seen, she looks something akin to the old hag in Sleep Paralysis Tales. Oh. She's yeah. a bit kind of witch-like and kind of, yeah. And the large breasts apparently are actually on her back. They're not on the front part. That's cheating. That is cheating. (laughs) So I kind of looked, because again, you kind of go, why, right? Yeah, why? (laughs) Why? Now, my understanding of the Hantu Tetek is it's something of a cautionary tale, a bit like a sexualised Jenny Green teeth. Oh, yeah. Um, It's used to scare primarily young teenagers from staying out late or straying too far from home. Basically, you know, if you go out late at night or I I guess there's also a kind of morality tale in there Mm. somewhere, you know, you'll never be seen again if you encounter this entity, basically. So these teenagers, basically. Or lust after boobs. Yeah, I guess that's also part of it. (laughs) Um, Now, this Malaysian ghost had a bit of a revival in 2021 after a Twitter user called at Bougainberry posted their sketches of Hantu Tech Tech Online, almost, I guess, enticing a new generation of hormonal teenagers <laughs> <laughs> who, as you might expect on social media, responded in a kind of stereotypical way. There were lots of comments about, I don't mind being smothered by them and dying. Do you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. I, I can imagine. <laughs> you can imagine, right? So this new social media resurgence of Hantu Tech this blew me away, was first featured in an article, and I kid you not, Ben, in a news outlet called Coconuts Media. (laughs) (laughs) No, it wasn't. It really was, honestly, it was. Now, that's not some specialised publication. 
it is a network of regional news and media companies in Malaysia called Coconuts Media. <laughs> which you can find them online. They're still going today. But I just thought, how could it get a resurgence in a magazine called Coconuts Media? But there you go. Uh, well, it's it's what it's a jot. <laughs> yeah, it is a jot. Actually, I've got a jot coming up later when I was doing this episode, which I'll, oh. I'll get on to. It's not the biggest jot, but it... <laughs> you, you told your, your wife that you were searching for the breast ghost when she looked at your search history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got it, yeah, yeah. And then, you had to make that up, didn't you? Yeah. And then I, I quickly hit the backspace and then this picture of a kind of entity with its arse in the air with an eye came up. I was screwed. And then you criticised her pastor and she buggered off. Yeah, exactly. There is another bizarre ghost entity from Malaysia uh, called the Toyol. Now, you may... I don't know if you've heard of this one, but... I feel like we've spoken about this. Maybe we have. Now, according to resident researcher and content writer for Supernatural Confessions website, Geraldine Letitia, a Toyol is a mystical creature from Malaysian folklore. It is said to be the ghost of a baby that died before it was born. In Indonesia, it is called the Tuyul. That's T-U-Y-U-L. I think that's pretty close to a pronunciation. Mm -hmm. The name literally means mischievous thief. The Tuyul is similar to a creature in the Philippines called the Tianak. This is harder. The Tianak and the legendary Guman Thong from Thailand. So they're all pretty much variations on this same entity. The Toyal is a dead baby that has been brought back to life by a Bomo, a Malaysian shaman, or somebody who is familiar with black magic. The Toyal looks Toyal looks like a mummified baby with green or grey skin, a big bulbous head, pointed ears, piercing red eyes and sharp teeth. Some say it resembles a goblin, and actually when you see pictures of it, it does look pretty goblin-like. Mm. It's usually kept in a glass jar and hidden away in dark places until it's needed. Needed? Yeah, well, get on to that. Because you create one and then you own it. That is the idea. Oh, very Tolpery. Yeah. When you own a Toyel, it's like making a contract with the devil. The Toyel has a temper like a small child and must be kept happy, entertained and well-fed. You must make offerings to the creature, like toys, milk, candy, sweets and biscuits. This is a bit gruesome. You also have to nurse it by pricking your thumb and allowing it to suck your blood. If you don't feed it, the toyer will forcefully suck blood from your toes or the toes of your immediate family members while they sleep. It can have my immediate family members, that's <laughs> yeah, fine. Yeah, go for them, they'll taste better. Yeah, yeah, totally. People who create a toyel use it to steal from their neighbours. In return for food and protection, the toyel will lurk around the village at night running errands for its master. Errands the summoner would rather not be doing themselves. Typical errands would include petty thefts or vandalism, which the toyel can get away with because of its tiny size. Now, this is interesting, actually. To protect yourself from a toyel, you can leave marbles around the house. <laughs> Why does it like them? No, well, this is the next bit. Or hang garlic over your door. Why? So it will play with the marbles and go cooking or something? You're half right. No, it, this will distract the toyel. <laughs> 
as it will start to play with these items until, like a child, it forgets what it was supposed to be doing. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> yeah. To keep your money safe from a toy L, place it on top of some needles or under a mirror. I think that's the money, not the toy L. Okay. Toils are terrified of needles and are scared of seeing their own reflection. So I kept, uh, while I was, yeah, there's lots of similarities with vampire lore here, aren't there? Doesn't like its reflection in a mirror, drinks blood. um, Garlic. Garlic. There's a lot going on here that does tie in, doesn't it? Mm. Um, This is a bit scary, though. If you're going to create one, there's a cautionary tale here. Once you obtain a toyel, not only are you stuck with it for the rest of your life, but all your descendants will also be condemned to own it. Oh, what? Yeah, it, you can't, once it's in the family, it can't go. So you get your great-great-great-granddad's toil? Yeah, yeah. You weren't expecting that in the will, were you? Oh, man. <laughs> That's well, rubbish. Yeah, now, there, there is also some not really clear how you do get rid of one. They suggest you can either bury them in a graveyard and lay the spirit to rest, or you can throw it in the sea. Well, that's not very nice. <laughs> yeah. Throw it in the sea. I'll come on to the sea, actually, in a minute, because there, there, is, there is a connection that's quite interesting. There are a number of Malaysian stories of people who have owned Toyel. I quite like this one about a young man named Bakuk who was very lazy and couldn't hold down a steady job. He was also addicted to gambling, and any money he had was squandered in the casino. He lived with his wife and sister and had a hard time providing for them because of his laziness and his gambling. One day he was searching through his dead grandfather's possessions when he came across a dusty old suitcase. Never a good idea, is it? Don't do that. Upon opening it, he found it contained what looked like a withered corpse of a baby. Suddenly, to his horror the baby opened its red eyes and began speaking to him. No. He realised that it was a toy owl. Thank you for releasing me, said the toy owl, but there are conditions. I can only obey your wishes and give you the powers, but I must eat. The young man sent the evil imp out to creep around the village at night, stealing the possessions of his neighbours. As time went on, Bakuk became rich and nobody suspected where his money came from. It's not the first thing you think about, is it? Oh, he's got no. some kind of, you know, thieving baby. No, no, no. I think he just got a good job. However, the toy owl became making more and more demands. Bakuk realised that it wanted a new mother. The toy owl demanded that he be allowed to breastfeed from Bakuk's sister sucking blood instead of milk. Hmm... So this freaked Bakuk out a little bit, as you would, right? Yeah. So what he did was send his wife and sister away to keep them safe. Okay. But when the toyel discovered this deception, it flew into a rage. What did it do? Well, the toyel attacked Bukuk and sucked every drop of blood from his body until there was nothing more than a withered and desiccated corpse. Oh. Maybe I should have thrown it in the sea. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's very vampire like that as well it is um, every bit of blood that's disgusting well it's funny you mentioned the sea again I know it's that's one way of getting rid of them um, 
because there is a real life encounter. I mean, that one may have been real life. It's it's a folklore tale, but there was a news story from 2006 about a fisherman in Malaysia who found a glass jar snagged in his net. Inside the jar was a small black figure that looked like a baby and had red eyes. Oh no, it's a toil. To his horror, he was convinced that he'd stumbled upon a toil. The fisherman gave the bottle to his local shaman and the shaman turned it over to a museum. The museum theorised that it was some sort of fetish figure that had been used in a healing ritual and been cast in the water as part of the ritual. Um, I, th- th- so this happened. They, this, I've got a picture of it, actually. And again, we'll put this um, in the YouTube version. I'm just showing Ben. It's not very clear. It's a bit of a blurry image. Oh, yeah. So this thing. Wow. Yeah. So it is looks like a red-eyed kind of it does. S- small baby. Um they, uh, the museum put it on display for a while and they drew record crowds from Malay visitors anxious for a glimpse of the real supernatural. Um, eventually, the thing in the jar was returned to the sea, but not before hundreds of people had come to see it. So, yeah, so there's pictures of it. The fishermen found this thing and it was displayed in a museum. I, I did dig around to see if they're... Because you'd think they'd probably do tests on it. I was just going to say, yeah. I did do a lot of digging around to see if I could find any of that. But no, it looks like they displayed it for a while and then threw it back into the sea. Oh, as per... As per the, the legend. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so I, I didn't realise Malaysia was such a hotbed of kind of weird paranormal creatures. No, no, nor me. Um... Actually, I was going to do it later, but let's talk about that just for a second. It struck me that we, from a Western perspective, don't have many of these kind of almost ridiculous, bizarre, such bizarre, ghostly and kind of cryptid stuff. Whereas I think Asian culture, there seems to be a lot more of it. And I was wondering, I know when I lived in Japan, it's almost part of every day life the superstition and the supernatural not necessarily that you believe you're going to see these things but there is more of a kind of acceptance or at least it's kind of ingrained in the culture so i wonder if that means that you do get a wider variety of these type of entities like your umbrellas and your yokai with an eyeball for where it's arse should be you know <laughs> and, and these things i wonder if it's because it is you know we almost just have the scary ones. They have all kinds of ones. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, we do. We tend to have like black dogs and cats. There are some weird ones. There's there's a Victorian or just pre-Victorian one called No Bones, right? Which is a blob that's supposed to get you when you go walking oh, that's right, in yeah. the countryside. Um, but our legends tend to just be a little bit. Dafter, you know, like the standing stones that walk to the pub and yeah, yeah, things yeah, like that. Yeah, talking of bizarre ones that we've covered, uh, I know one of our favourite paranormal cases is the weird story of Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Oh, Jeff! Um, in fact, it's really worth. It was a couple of years ago now, but it's really worth checking out our episode that we did on Jeff the Talking Mongoose, and we all we interviewed author Christopher Joseph about. Uh, the cheeky talking 
mongoose. No, that's not Christopher. That's the mongoose. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's well worth a listen. I think the movie, there's a movie coming out about Jeff starring Simon Pegg, Christopher Lloyd and Minnie Driver. And I was looking yeah. it up. I think they finished shooting now and it's due to be released, I think, in September later this year. So I'm really looking forward oh, to that. Oh, me too, definitely. It's a good combination, good cast as well, right? Really good cast, yeah. But it did make me think, I wonder if there are other stories about talking animals, you know, because we kind of went, well, Jeff is pretty unique. Um, and it was when I was going through those old stories in the New York Times... I found another example of a talking animal. It wasn't a parrot, was it? wasn't a parrot. It's actually a dog. <gasps> no way. Yeah. Sausages. So this story was published in the New York Times on the 20th of November, 1910, under the headline, they, they, they did what it said on the tin here, a dog that talks. <laughs> Simples. Uh, it, the subheading the sub, uh, is, he's a setter and demands cake in good German. It is asserted. In good German. So the article says, Berlin, November 19th. The scientific sensation of the hour in Germany is the talking dog, Don. A dark brown setter belonging to the royal gamekeeper named Ebers at Theerschutter near Hamburg. Don promises to become as celebrated an attraction as the horse Cleverhands, which startled the zoological savants of Europe eight years ago with his alleged mathematical feats. I'll come back to that. Carl Hagenbeck, the world-famous animal dealer, has offered Don's masters, this is a lot of money back then, $2,500 for the privilege of exhibiting the dog Good Lord. in the Hagenbeck outdoor menagerie at Hamburg. That is a lot of money. That is a lot of money back in 1910, right? The dog's vocabulary, it is said, already embraces <laughs> six words. <laughs> I mean, it's good. It's not, you know. His alleged, <laughs> his alleged elocution powers came to light earlier this week as the result of reports from the United States that Professor Alexander Graham Bell has succeeded in teaching a terrier to speak. Oh, for God's sake. It was declared that Germany not only possessed a dog with similar gifts, but a dog which has been talking for five years, in fact, ever since he was six months old. The story was first considered a joke, but Thea Schuter all the week has been the mecca of interested inquiries who have come away convinced that Don is a genuine canine wonder. This is a That's Life story, I swear. <laughs> His callers included a number of newspaper men who went to the town to interview the dog. The gamekeeper Ebers affirms that the dog began talking in 1905 without training of any kind. According to his owner, the animal sauntered up one day to the table where the family were eating, and when his master asked, you want something, don't you? He stupefied the family by replying in a deep masculine tone, Harben, Harben which means want, want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The tone was not a bark or growl, it is declared, but distinct speech and increased in plainness from day to day and his master took more interest in the dog's newly discovered talent. Shortly afterwards, the story goes, the dog learned to say hunger when asked what he had. Then he was taught to say kuchen, which is cakes, 
and finally, ya and nine. And it is added that he is now able to string several of these words together in sensible rotation and will say, hunger, I want cakes. <laughs> you shouldn't give cakes to dogs. Well, it's back in the day. No, you shouldn't. Back in the day. Definitely not chocolate cake. I mean, if it's in the New York Times... Well, the New York Times correspondent has caused inquiries regarding Don to be made through trustworthy authorities at Hamburg. He is assured that the dog is an unqualified scientific marvel. So this is the New York Times saying this. Don's owner is overwhelmed with applications from circus and music hall managers who are outbidding one another for the privilege of exhibiting the dog. See, these days he'd be on TikTok and have an agent... Yeah, well, there's, there's there's one that quite popular in our house. You, have you seen the dog that's got the, the pads that it does with its yeah, paws? Yeah, yeah. Hello, mummy, all that stuff it does. So they are smart, but I think it, there is it's another level when they're actually using words, isn't it? I mean, you do remember that that's life dog saying sausages, don't you? Yeah, but that's all it could say, really, didn't it? That's all it could say. It couldn't say, I want sausages and I want them now, if you don't mind. No. Um so I guess it's not quite the speaking aptitude of Jeff the Talking Mongoose, but he certainly can ask for cake when he wants it. And to be honest, do you need much more than that in life, Ben? Well, not if you're a dog, obviously, because really. it's bad for you, dog. But Let's try and teach your dog yeah. to say something. <laughs> Anything. Anything. I can't even get my dog to recoil, let alone teach it how to speak. He's <laughs> <laughs> the most stubborn dog in the world. Oh, he's cute, though. Yeah, he is cute, though. Um, so that article mentioned a horse called Clever Hands, which I'd not heard of, but it is a very famous case. Have you heard of Clever Hands? Uh, no. Uh, all I can think of is... Is it Clever Hands? H-A-N-S? Yeah, it's another German animal. It's a oh, horse. Oh, right, right. I thought Because I thought you said Clever Hands at first. I thought, well, hooves, but... No, as yeah. in hands. I see. Um, so Clever Hands, is, in German, is De Klung Hands was a performing horse in Berlin in the late 19th and early 20th century, celebrated for demonstrating remarkable intelligence. The feats performed by the horse were eventually explained as simple behavioural responses to subtle cues provided, perhaps unintentionally, by his handler. So uh, uh, my understanding is it would solve maths problems. By tapping its hooves. Oh, yeah, yeah. Four plus seven and it taps eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, since that time, behavioural researchers have referred to the clever hands effect, so it's actually kind of created a scientific thing, to denote the danger of unintentionally cueing of the desired behaviour by the questioner if experiments are not carefully designed. I see, I see, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a side note, but it's an interesting one, because I'd not heard of clever hands before, so when it came up, I did a bit of searching on that. I don't think, Ben, we can leave an episode on ridiculous ghosts without mentioning the Highgate chicken ghost. Uh, so, well, you've mentioned it now. I need to know, what is this? Well, we, we have covered this a long time ago on the podcast, but uh, I'd forgotten that we had, and you've obviously forgotten that we had, so it's definitely worth doing again. Yeah, I don't remember this. And it's worth doing, because this story is just so good, and it's so weird. Um, it's got loads of weird elements to it. It will come back to you when you hear it. It starts with philosopher and scientist Sir Francis Bacon travelling with his friend, Dr Witherbone, 
in April in the year of 1626. The two men were discussing if there was another way to preserve food rather than the practice at the time, which was preserving it in salt. Maybe because it was an unseasonably cold spring in London, Sir Francis Bacon proposed the idea that an alternative way of preserving food could be refrigeration. The men decided to conduct an experiment. They bought a chicken from a farm in Highgate, London. It was butchered and cleaned, placed in a sack packed with snow, and more snow was placed around the sack. So basically, they created, well, I guess certainly in England, the word, their first frozen chicken. Yeah. Oh, it's a clever, clever conclusion, yeah. Back in 1626. I mean, I'm sure, you know, cultures where there's lots of snow probably were onto this before us, but <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The article I read said it was the world's first frozen chicken. I'm not sure that's probably true. Um, unfortunately, for this is really sad, for Sir Francis Bacon, he never got to find out whether his idea for preserving a chicken in snow worked. He caught a chill from packing the chicken in snow, which turned into pneumonia, and he died on April the 9th, 1626, before the experiment was completed. Oh! Soon after his death, it wasn't the ghost of Sir Francis Bacon that was being spotted around Highgate, but you guessed it, that of the dead chicken. (laughs) Or was it a chicken? (laughs) There were multiple reports of the ghostly semi-plucked chicken at the Highgate Ponds where it was seen running in circles or chilling out, frozen chicken pun I've thrown in there, in the lower branches of trees. So this was multiple people saw this thing. Right, right. When people approached this poultry poltergeist, it would vanish into thin air. Now, reports of this ghostly Highgate chicken have continued way past the 17th century. During the Second World War, air raid wardens would regularly spot the bird with its missing feathers feathers running around in circles, like it had back in the day in the 1700s. Wow. The ghost chicken was also spotted in 1969 and in 1970 when a couple were interrupted, it says, while engaged in a romantic embrace... Uh huh. At the Highgate Ponds. He was showing her his eye. Yeah, they were interrupted by this foul apparition. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Do do you not remember that? We did do that. I do remember this now. I do. I do. And it seems so daft that. Because that's what we got talking about. Like, does Bernard Matthews get followed around by (laughs) a billion turkey ghosts? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. He's like, that would be hell, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. Oh, they make a hell of a noise as well. I love that, though. But it's funny how that kind of got out of my mind because um, we did do it a while back, but we've talked a few times on the podcast of why don't you see ghost animals? And it's like, but that, yeah, is yeah. but that has gone on for like hundreds of years. And there's been kind of, there were sightings in the 1700s, then during World War II, and then in the <clears throat> 60s and 70s as well. And it follows a similar pattern. I think the interesting thing is it is a chicken that kind of has some feathers because I don't think it was fully plucked because they didn't need to when they did the experiment. But, yeah, its ghostly body is still there at Highgate Ponds. Anyone in that area who may have spotted a ghostly chicken, do let us know. I wonder what the most recent sighting is. Yeah, yeah. The the, the latest one I could find was in 1970, so um, there may have been others. But I did have a little jot. While, mm. while I was researching that story. 
you ate some frozen chicken. No, it's really weird. You know, I've had these weird things going on with music in the past. Yes. It's one of those. So I I was listening to my streaming service um, and I was just... I you, you know, you can do like streaming radio and it will just play stuff. So I played mm. a couple of Miles Davis songs and said, can you just keep streaming jazz? I mean, I didn't say that, but I clicked the button. Um so that had been running for probably a couple of hours while I was researching the podcast. And I finished writing that bit. And I was listening to one of the songs. But, oh, that's really good. I really like that track. So I kind of changed windows and went back to see what the song was called. While I was writing that story, I was listening to a track by Jimmy Smith called Back at the Chicken Shack. <laughs> You do get the weirdest musical jobs. Yes, it happens to me all the there time. There aren't many songs with chicken in the well, title. That's why I thought if I'd gone, oh, I was writing, a, I was writing a story about love, and I got a love song. Yeah, so yeah, what? No, but, nothing. No. Yeah, I, I was. I when I was, I was going in my head. I was like, what other kind of chicken songs do I know? There is one by um, Little Feet called Dixie Chicken, which I quite like. But no, there's not a ton of chicken based. There is the material. chicken song. Yes, but I wouldn't be listening to that. Um, I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was really weird that it was like, oh, that's a really good track, and I went back to have a kind of look at what it was. Back at the Chicken Shack by Jimmy Smith. Wow. Okay, that is a weird thing. I guess that leads us. So that that's my end of kind of weird. Oh, thank you. Those are those are brilliant. I've uh, now I more than ever I want to go back and look longingly at my umbrella, waiting for it to come to life <laughs> yeah, and give you a lick on the back. And boy, I'm going to surprise Rachel with this ping pong ball. <laughs> um, well, I guess the chicken shack uh, jot leads us nicely onto the TQM Tulpa project. So we said uh, right at the start we, we'd kind of come back to you and talk about it. And Ben, you've got um, some of the responses we've had, which have been huge. I was expecting yeah. one person to say, yeah, okay, I kind of, you know, saw something. But we've had a load, and you've got some of them there, I think. Yeah, let's let's go through these, because um, the, I think this is going to be a regular feature as people update them. But um, first of all, uh, Melanie Lockhart, thank you. She says that um, when she, she was listening to us at, when she was out walking, and then she finished her walk with a podcast... You're Dead to Me, which I know this, a historical one, and that mentioned Sherlock Holmes. And then when she gets back home on her computer, she finds out it's Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's birthday today. We didn't know that. She messaged us on Monday. Yeah, she said, did did we know, didn't she? And I was like, neither of us did. I checked with you and went, wow, have you done some amazing, brilliant piece of marketing? And it's funny because I thought about that. So, yes, so we we publish our podcast on a Monday. We decided to do this thing, what, probably eight or nine days before we yeah, published? Yeah, We published and then, yeah, uh, Melanie let us know it was actually on the date of uh, Sir Arthur Code Doyle's birthday. And I'd look back because I kind of thought, well, it's a 365 to 1 chance, but it's not because we only published the podcast on a Monday. There has not been a 22nd of May on a Monday for all the time we've been doing the podcast. I think the last Monday, the 22nd, was in 2017. So it doesn't... So the odds are pretty high that we just managed to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a complete 
a complete fluke. Thank you, Melanie. So she had two two in a row, really. I, I think I saw that one. She was like, I didn't even want to be part of this, and now I no, am. No, exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, somebody called Ben Smith says, I just finished, and the next pod that starts playing within the first sentence was a person by the name of Holmes. Um, Stephen Parks told us it's working. I'd love to know some more details, Stephen, about what's going on with you. Um, Faye Nuri, you got through to us um, earlier in the week. Uh, you said you <laughs> I like I like your honesty. Be I'll be clear. I put minimal effort into this experiment. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Um, twice today, Sherlock has cropped up. A random work colleague mentioned Sherlock's deer stalker, and then a Sherlock advert just popped up on my mobile phone. Um, Spirit of Mongan, um, you said that uh, the other night whilst looking at my Roku, uh, what to watch, the Hand of the Baskervilles was the one that came out. Um, But then uh, you and you point out there was a bit of a synchronicity because you've been seeing this several times. So a lot of what is happening is synchronicities. Yeah, yeah. Um, Level one on the TQM Tolpa scale. Yeah. And Tony Lovell, you mentioned that you're seeing a few things. I'm not sure that seeing the home button with home on <laughs> is quite it, but I do appreciate your your effort <laughs> yeah. in bringing it in. But Peter and I have both had we, them. We had I had one. I had one on the Monday, um, which I put on social media. But I decided because I, I had a big meeting on Wednesday and I thought I really need a haircut and I knew there were two barbers near me so it's, I, I, it was I don't know it's a 20 minute drive but I knew there were two barbers down one street so I went down the street and went oh, I'll go to one of them the one that was closed I I'd, I've been down there before but I never noticed what it was called and it's called Sherlock Combs do you know, I did know that was down there, but it didn't occur to me. That's, didn't that occur that to was me. that was quite weird. And then, you know, I think again, the big one for me is all the stuff about the date. But you've had you've had one as well. Yeah, right? yeah. Yesterday in the pub, somebody, an old fella who definitely wouldn't be listening to this show, um, told me about how he used to love his briarwood pipe. Oh, that's what we mentioned. And that's just, Holmes had one. Holmes right? had a briarwood pipe. Yeah, I've never ever. That's, I think that's the, when I mentioned that about was what Sherlock Holmes used. Unless I read it somewhere else, I don't think I've ever said the words Briarwood Pipe. No. And um, that was there. Um, what's this picture from Steve Owen? It's very small. Oh, uh, you can't see on there. Uh, that was very funny. So he, I, I don't know if that's Steve in the picture or he just found it, but he said it's happening. And it's a picture, I don't know if it's of him or it's just something off the internet, of a locksmith who's called Sherlock Holmes. Oh, that's but, brilliant. But what he did was he um, photoshopped a deerstalker hat on, it, <laughs> on the guy, so I thought that was very funny. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Steve. And also, uh, Kate Purnell, Nicola Dixon and Maud Drake, uh, 8946. Uh, 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 no, sorry, that's not what you called. It's... More Doc Drake, 8946. All of you, thank you for joining in. Let's keep this going. Yeah. Let's see if we can't get more Sherlock sightings. And you've got a little bit of extra spice to put into the idea, right? I I have, because I have been... So what Ben and I said last week is that we 
kind of carve out kind of 10 or 15 minutes a day to think about Sherlock. You, I think you were going to do some drawings maybe. There was all yeah. kinds of stuff we were going to do. So I've been doing that all week, but my uh, my only thing was the haircut thing on the Monday. Um, and then I started thinking about, well, what's Sherlock famous for? So let me give you the backstory to this. It's slightly, uh, slightly weird, but... Um, when me and my wife got married, we stayed in a really posh hotel in London and we, uh, what's the word? We borrowed permanently one of their bottle openers because it was a really nice bottle opener and it was a kind of memento of the time. Um, and we've had it for like over 18 years and uh, we use it all the time because we drink a lot of wine. And uh, it went missing a month ago and we got no idea where it went, which made me think... Ah, when I'm thinking about Sherlock, maybe I can try and somehow channel the spirit of Sherlock to help me solve this mystery. Good idea. And find my missing item. So I thought that might be something that, if you're listening, some of you want to try at home as well. If you've got something that's disappeared or you've got a little mystery that's been bugging you. I mean, you know, nothing major, but just little mysteries. Maybe when you're thinking about Sherlock, you can ask him for inspiration of, you know, cutting down all the logical things and maybe solving a few mysteries. It'd be great if we could do that, solve some mysteries that have been bugging us all. That, that is a good idea. I'd like to find out why um, uh, I keep finding... Uh, it's really strange... A bottle of Lenore keeps appearing in my cellar. Really? I can't so, so f- explain I don't know, it. I don't know, for listeners out there who don't know what that is, that's a bottle of fabric softener, right, for the use in your washing? Yep. Yep. And it's happened about... So what, it appears, you move it, or use it, and then another one comes? Yeah. Full and or empty? Yeah, no full. And they're big ones. And I say to my partner, um, have we got any <laughs> Lenore? And she says, no, I need to buy some. And I say, I'll just check. Oh, no, there's a big one. Oh, I'm sure I didn't buy it. We've checked on our shopping list. We haven't bought Lenore for about six months, but we have plenty of Lenore. And nobody else comes around our house bringing Lenore. (laughs) And then going into your cellar and placing it there. (laughs) It's a deep mystery because it's the brand, it's the sort that we like as well. But it just keeps appearing. It's got to the point where I might actually put a camera down in the cellar and see what's going on. That would be brilliant, spooky activity. I'm not saying it's a ghost, but if it is a ghost, that's an amazing thing for it to do. It's definitely a sweet-smelling ghost. And it's so, so soft. That, that, that is a perfect mystery that you could try and engage Sherlock in helping you figure it out. That's amazing. If I smell pipe smoke coming out of my cellar later, I'll know that he's on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Well, look, we really appreciate that uh, everyone's taking part in that. Uh, in the top project making Sherlock real and embracing uh, his spookiness uh, we we're just going to keep whenever we get something we'll keep talking about it you know we won't talk about it every week but keep thinking about Sherlock keep looking out for strange coincidences or sightings and just let us know when you have something we'll just it's, we this is a long-term project for us. It's a long-term project. And make sure if you're telling anyone about it, they get the right homes. Eamon Holmes is already real. <laughs> yeah. We're going Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes. Brilliant. Okay, well, uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more quantum mechanicsness, and uh, we'll see you then. See you then. Take care. Bye. Bye. 
the quantum mechanics, 